Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, Senior MBA Insider for HoopsHype.com and the host of the HoopsHype Podcast. It's been a tough season for the Golden State Warriors so far, which is including the sudden passing of assistant coach Deki Milijevic, and you've got Draymond Green's indefinite suspension earlier in the season. And this team right now is hovering close to 500 as of this recording, and now with the trade deadline rapidly approaching, the Warriors are a team looking to make upgrades and they have the expiring contract essentially of Chris Paul they can dangle. You've got Andrew Wiggins and you got a rising young talent in Jonathan Kaminga as well. So with that in mind, I'm joined by my former colleague who I consider one of the best beat writers in the entire business, Anthony Slater. He covers the Golden State Warriors for The Athletic. We're going to break down What's ahead for Golden State with the trade deadline? Uh, we'll talk about the game, uh, the return after Coach Decky's passing, and a lot more. Anthony, I appreciate you joining me in a busy time of the year, brother. How's everything going your way? It's good. You know, it's been a dramatic season in so many ways, uh, as as the outside world I'm sure knows. But you know, it's halfway through. Actually, their last game was there was was the halfway mark, and it it feels like it's been about four seasons packed into one, really. That's a well said analogy for sure. Um, given the way their season has gone, you you were there for the return after Coach Decky's passing, and I'm I'm curious for you, you being around the team especially, did you have any stories or interactions with him that you know maybe were near and dear to to you during your time with him? Yeah, I mean nothing, you know, special and touching where it was it was like deeply personal or anything like that, but we talked basketball plenty. You know, he was very inviting uh with just his personality. I mean, people have talked about it and anybody who's seen the clips or visions of him over the the last week or so, he's always kind of got that huge, you know, teddy bear laugh going. Every single like Eastern European player in the league would come over to, to chat with him pregame, you know, when they saw him and you know, he was he was just always out there available to to chat if you wanted to and i would you know a handful more than a handful of times over the last few years i just go and usually i would just talk to him about big men he's kind of an expert in uh you know the big man position and the skills and the tools because he was one back in his day um and uh you know i mean everybody knows him mostly for for working with Jokic, but i'd say if you want to if i want to pinpoint a memory with him uh you know he worked a lot with james wiseman and his uh you know Wiseman's last season and a half with the Warriors, uh, and the hope was that he could really tutor and, and mold Wiseman into the the star that the Warriors at the time thought he could be. Uh, it was tough for him for Dehan to work because you know James missed that full first season with Dehan recovering from the meniscus. But I remember uh, Wiseman's knee had got to a point where they cleared him to go play in G League game, and it was his first game. It was like you know it must have been March or something like that. 
Uh, Warriors were on a road trip. And, you know, Dayon, he's an assistant coach, so he's on the road trip, obviously. He he goes off the road trip, goes to Stockton, California. I go to Stockton because this was a big deal at the time for the Warriors. Like, you know, Wiseman's, you know, coming back to basketball action after about a year. Um, and I remember sitting with 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 Decky for chunks of that game as he was sitting there watching, you know, the the this young center he was trying to uh, you know, pull up and and tutor. And I'm watching it with a very, you know, critical eye, you might want to say the whole world is, right? You're like, can this young center, you know, become what the Warriors want him to become? And he was really good with for me that night on the perspective of like, look, he's just happy James is playing. Let's worry about the human and uh, you know, all he's gone through in this rehab, this tricky rehab where his knee kept re-swelling back up. And actually after this G League stint, it swelled back up again and he was shut down for the season. But I just remember the human element to to the way he was coaching James. And and he wasn't sitting there being like, why is that screen angle not right? And like he had those lessons while waiting, James. And but it was also like, look, he's a human. And and I think when you talk to people in the aftermath he was very good at that touch of like you know let's enjoy our lives and let's all like kind of have perspective on everything and i think his death has delivered a lot of perspective to you know the warriors in a trying season that while it is not going well not going how they thought it would uh you know there's a lot bigger things uh, you know in life at, at times to concern yourself with you touched about dehan uh, you know with his humanity towards other people and players certainly the relationship aspect i think sticks out most with him when you see what other people have said around the league and as you know we're in a relation uh an industry that's based on relationships and strong ones at that uh, how some people witness this for the warriors obviously a lot um, of people and yeah. I, you know that's a traumatic event i mean do you have any sense like how this has been affecting those who witnessed it and, and just the warriors organization in general I think everybody a little bit differently. Um, and it like, you know, they've said like they could not have played those two games that, that, that were postponed. Like, I'm curious if the league came back and was like, look, we can't postpone. Like, I don't know if they forfeit or what, but they were just like saying they just were not ready. Um, the coaching staff's been hit hard. Some staffers have been hit hard. There's about five players at this team dinner that you're talking about where this heart attack took place. Uh, it's the scene that's been described to me is pretty, you know, like you said, traumatizing. Um, and I don't, I, you know, I think that, you know, there was, there was a lightness yesterday, you know, you're going out to pregame. They're still like laughing and joking around, but you can tell like it, it is, it is a franchise. It was a more subdued version of a normal NBA game in a normal NBA environment. And, uh, it, it's hitting people heavy. And I would say like, you know, most, mostly everybody, especially an adult, like, you know, somebody in your life who's died, like you've gone through grief. But I do think what was different, and you mentioned it, it was like seeing it happen. Like that is rare. I would say like most adults have not like seen something like that, uh, you know, in person. And I think a lot of the people that were at that dinner, and like you mentioned, it was a lot of the organization. Uh, that's the first time they've seen something like that, especially to somebody they know so well. No, I, I could certainly understand that. I remember, you know, when my own dad passed, how that affected me. And, and when you see something like that, it, it sticks with you, no question. Um, but as as far as this team looking ahead now, we're, we're now two weeks away yeah. from the trade deadline. And there's always a lot of chatter about these guys lately, given their up and down season. And I guess the first guy I'll touch with you on is, is Jonathan Kaminga. Um, you know, 
by all accounts, from what I've heard, the Warriors are pleased with the growth of Jonathan Kaminga this season, and they're reluctant to trade him, uh, at least I'm told. And yeah. it would take a pack. From what I've heard, it would take, theoretically, it would take a package involving an all-star player or an overpay of draft picks for Golden State to even consider trading him. And, you know, some wondered if Kaminga would be a trade candidate with the Raptors and Pascal Siakam talks. The Warriors and, and Raptors, they did have talks regarding Siakam, but nothing ever got close. And from what I heard, Toronto wasn't as high on Kaminga as some assumed. So, Anthony, you being there, we saw he had a perfect shooting night the other night, and he's he's gotten better. Um, but we yeah. also saw the Shams report about him having a little bit of a, a question with Steve Kerr about, you know, maximizing his potential and whatnot. So when you look at the totality of Jonathan Kaminga this year, where is he at both in his development and role with the team, what it could be going forward? And is this guy a, a candidate to be traded in your opinion? Cause a lot of teams around the league certainly covet him uh, for the Warriors. Yeah, so as far as how he's playing, like he's improved massively. You know, he's in the best stretch of his career by far. I believe he's up to like 21 or 22 straight games of double digits scoring, uh, four straight 20 point games, which is the longest uh, you know streak of his career. All of those have come off the bench. Um, he, you mentioned the 11 of 11 night. He, to me, he's committed more to just like more downhill attacking, trying to really put pressure on teams at the rim going less to his jumper. They still tell him, hey, you know, if the right moment comes around, take the three, take the mid-ranger. But, like, you know, where you will really impact this league is, you know, Steve Kerr's used uh, the Sean Marion comparison before. Like, you know, when Steve was in Phoenix as a GM there, uh, the way Marion just impacted the game in all those subtle slashing type ways. And he thinks Kaminga could be that type of player. Um, and he is emerging at a time that uh you know i a decision on his future and andrew wiggins future which we'll, we'll get to like it, it does need to kind of be made in the next couple of weeks and and i do get the sense that organizationally as you, as you mentioned they're very hesitant to put him in a trade package um even though like part of the reason is because his value league-wide hadn't been what the warriors still view him to be although i do think his value is rising because of how well he's playing um but you know i think he's as long as to me, it's as simple as like as long as he feels like he's like a twenty-five to thirty-minute per night player every night, um, he's completely fine, you know, with the Warriors and and you know after the the, the report we put out, uh, you know, about Steve Kerr, they had him and Kerr had a long meeting in their office and and he kind of you know said in the aftermath everything was fine. The next game he played a career high in minutes and 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 he, you know he has been getting steadier. Fuller, you know, every night, you know, twenty, like I said, twenty-five to thirty minutes. So uh, he seems very ready for that. The problem they've been having is uh, the lineup combinations that include him and Andrew Wiggins just have not worked. The numbers are really bad. They know that they've been hesitant to play those two together. So at times, Kaminga's minutes have been really limited because if Wiggins is having a good night or they're deciding they just want to go more with Wiggins, you know, his minutes have been suppressed and suppressed and that had been frustrating him. And that goes back to the playoffs last year where Wiggins comes back from his absence, goes back in the starting lineup and Kaminga goes from a heavy rotation police uh, piece to basically out of the rotation in the playoffs. So um, I think Wiggins future and, and maybe that's decided in the next couple of weeks could impact Kaminga's. Uh, but I 
having the same sense you do that 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 they they're not you know search scouring to see what Kamiga's market is right now. I mean, they they view him as as uh, you know still part of their future. And you touched on Andrew Wiggins, uh, rival executives, and Bobby Marks, who previously joined me on the Hoopside podcast, also agreed uh, that Andrew Wiggins is a trade candidate that they're monitoring with the Warriors, and you touched on it as well. You know, I tried to brainstorm a little bit who could make sense. I I had heard that Dallas liked him. Um, they're certainly that's looking- another name that's that I've you know heard in that market. Yeah, D- Dallas has always liked him, and they're looking upgraded to three. Um, this is just me, uh, my opinion. You know, Houston's looking for a starting caliber upgrade, and they've got expiring contracts that can get them to Wiggins' number if they wanted to, if they find him an attractive target. Um, but you being there day to day, I was curious, have you heard any teams specifically that have real interest in trading for Andrew Wiggins at this time on essentially what some could view as a, a buy low uh, guy who's, who's having a bit of a down year thus far. Well, I start by saying like everyone, pretty much every team in this league in theory could use what Andrew Wiggins could be what Andrew Wiggins was in 2022 during that playoff run, right? I three and D wing. He's hitting 40% of his threes and he was one of the better wing defenders during that playoff run. He guarded Jason Tatum. He guarded Luka Doncic. He was great. Um, so, and then they got him back that summer on a four year extension where this is year one of the extension with, you know, it's, I think it's somewhere around 24, 25 million this year. Like that was viewed at the time as like, wow, what a bargain deal team friendly, uh, obviously the way the last two seasons have gone and particularly this season where he's having the worst offensive year of his career, all the lineup numbers and on-court data, it's, it's been terrible for him has have tanked his value. Uh, so it would be kind of a sell low time for the Warriors. Um, as far as teams, I mean, you mentioned it like I, 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 those Dallas rumblings have been out there. Um, but you know, I think a lot of teams could convince themselves, as you mentioned, like, you know, uh, into a buy low situation, but you know, what do the warriors want is the big question. And, you know, maybe it is just getting off his future money. Uh, and, and, and you can get them on the cheap because they, the second apron really matters here and, and what's looming for the warriors and, and how they have to potentially rearrange the, you know, the deck chairs and, the fact that he makes big money for the next three seasons, if they can get off that for some expirings, maybe that is appealing enough, you know, for them to even maybe have to attach a small asset. Um, and if they do decide they want Kaminga here long-term, Kaminga's extension eligible this summer. So that is, that's kind of the pivot point. Those two, Kaminga, Wiggins, and the fact that, you know, they're the two wings on the team that don't seem to be able to play together that well. And, and one seems to be declining. One is ascending. Uh, it indicates to me where this thing might be heading. You know, I got to tell you, Anthony, a lot of rival executive scouts, you name it, anybody that's keeping an eye on the Warriors around the league, they have two questions that I always seem to get from them. One, what happened to him this year? Why Why is he struggling? And two, is it like it got to do with, you know, stuff going on behind the scenes with him? personal stuff like I guess it's really more the same stuff but a subcategory what what do you say to that um why he why is he having a down year this year and and are there external factors at play here that are 
potentially either the root or part of it. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that he just like you know was away for for a few months late last season uh, impacted his rhythm. I mean, he came back and played in the playoffs and tried to get through it, and and he was actually okay during that playoff run, but um, he just hadn't played that much basketball for for a long period of time. And then I don't people often forget this, but uh, game uh, game five against the Lakers, uh, he broke his ribs. <laughs> like he had like a six to eight week injury. Uh, it was basically going to be two month recovery. Now he put a flak jacket on, played in game six. Uh, you know, first play of that game, I can remember LeBron, right? There were reports out there. Everybody knows Andrew Wiggins like is gutting through this broken rib uh, issue and LeBron just power posts into him. And I remember sitting there very close in Staples where we sit and you could see just the grimace in Wiggins faces. He's just getting posted up. Uh, and then I remember talking to him, leaving the arena that night. They had been eliminated that night, and he was like, "Yeah, it's like going to be, you know, basically a two month recovery." So that really affected his off season, uh, where he was not able to play that much basketball. He came into camp just completely out of rhythm, uh, and then struggled early in the season. His handle was really loose. The shooting numbers are as bad as they've ever been in his career. Even in the Minnesota days, which at times he gets criticized for, still scoring eighteen to twenty a game on like at least decent shooting numbers. That just wasn't there. Uh, it snowballed because the t- the team's performance was snowballing, which didn't help. Uh, his rebound numbers were down, and that's usually a sign that he's not as engaged as he needs to be. Um, sure, the you know the the personal life stuff. I think it, it always kind of looms over the conversation about him. But I mean, he's there. He's there every day. He's trying. He's just hasn't been able to to generate a rhythm. And then the other thing is like they've had to kind of go away from him and, and, and limit his minutes because of how poorly he's played and how well some of the young guys like Kaminga, Moses Moody, some of those guys, Pajemski, uh, and, and his season just hasn't been able to get back on track. Anybody else uh, specifically beside Dallas you see as a, a team that maybe could make a run at Wiggins? Yeah. And again, this is speculation. So I don't want it to be like, I'm not reporting. I, I've heard that, that these type of teams are interested, but like, you know, Charlotte to me, I see as, as uh, you know, uh, they have some expirings. You can, you know, do they want to get in that market or Cleveland has always been in desperate need of a three, right? I mean, we all know <laughs> the that. irony of that on that one. Yeah, yes, very true. <laughs> um, Indiana had been, you know, in my yes. mind for that because they'd been kind of looking, but, you know, obviously that's the past, over with the Siakam yeah, stuff. Absolutely. They they yeah. definitely, which was intriguing to me because they looked at OG Ananobi, they miss on him. Uh, they looked at Wiggins, but they were able to get Siakam. I, I would have went that route too. I know they're yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. figuring I it mean, out, but... Um, yeah, I I agree with you. That those and again, don't worry. I'll I'll make sure it's uh, in the transcript about that. It is an opinion, but I know the aggregators love to say whatever they want anyway. Um, Chris, you know Paul, how it goes. I I do know. Uh, trust me, I do. Um, yeah. We gotta Chris we gotta Paul. keep them in line. But the other guy I thought of as a trade candidate, certainly Chris Paul, uh, around the league, people will look at him and his expiring contract. Now the Warriors view Chris Paul as more than just an expiring contract. They do feel that he's a a key part of what they're doing. And in the minutes he's played, he's played pretty well for a guy that's 39 now. Um, he's expected to return sometime around the All-Star break. We don't have an exact date yet, but somewhere in that range. So, Anthony, when you look at CP3's situation in, in Golden State, do you see him being moved 
at the deadline, given his contract is essentially an expiring contract? Um, I think it's a possibility. And part of the reason they traded for him was that like maneuverability. They like to use the term optionality. Uh, but part of the appeal of his contract also when they made the move where they traded Jordan Poole for him was the fact that it was expiring. And they are moving into this world where like, you know, are they going to extend Clay Thompson in the summer? Um, how are they going to duck this second apron with, with all the money there? They still have owed to others, you know, moving forward. So um, that part of that decision may depend on if they believe that this year is worth chasing. And if there's a win now move out there that, that can leap them into at least somewhat fringe contention and, there could be an argument made that no, I mean, they're 1922. They've been not been good enough all season to believe that there is some fix all out there that makes them a title contender. And if not, uh, beyond the fact that, as you mentioned, Chris Paul played pretty well for them. Um, th- like he has value. His contract has value to them as, as not only an expiring deal, but a, a deal that this summer also they could, you know, it has a $30 million, you know, non-guaranteed year. So obviously you could just, you know, re- release that, try to resign them at a lower number, but you also put that into a trade this summer. Um, not saying they will do that, but I just, I think there's more value than people realize for the Warriors in keeping. I agree. It definitely gives them more optionality. And, you know, you talk about what they could do with him and, and you touched earlier about, you know, avoiding the second apron and which clearly was, you know, directed towards the Warriors and, and their team. I think when they did this new CBA. Warriors but, and Clippers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but part of that is because they're going to have to figure out what they do with Clay Thompson in the offseason. And, um, you know, Golden State and, and Clay Thompson spoke at the beginning of the year. They didn't get a deal done. So both sides felt it was best to push it off until the end of the season. He's been through the free agency process before, and he stayed. The Warriors want him back, and Thompson seems like he wants to be back from what I've heard. So how does how does this shake out, ultimately, uh, in your opinion, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, I did an interview with him preseason. He was very transparent about wanting to be back and believing, like, you know, I think he, he's romantic about this Warriors time and, like, legacy. And, like, he feels that stuff deeply, like, deeper than your, I think, average player. Like, he will talk about, like, what it means, what they've built as the Warriors and and what his legacy being, like, kind of a a one-franchise player. Now, uh, he still believes he's he's a high-level, you know, wing that needs, you know, shooter scores, you know, can defend bigger guys, obviously, you know, the the defense against uh, smaller guys has, has fallen off a cliff just because his lateral quickness after the injuries. But, you know, he still thinks he's a high money, you know, player. It should be valued like that. And they obviously didn't come to terms before the season on an extension that weren't even close. I mean, that's all, all been reported. Um, but I, I think they're going to go into the offseason still both motivated to continue the partnership that, you know, will end with his statue outside the arena. Just like they did this past summer, they took Draymond Green into free agency because they couldn't come to terms on an extension. Didn't you know the Warriors weren't even that motivated that time around? Draymond had a good season. They found a number that you know and, and a length that uh, satisfied both sides and and got it done. And you know I'd pro like if you you have me predict, I'd probably I'm gonna maybe until I'm fooled or until I'm proven otherwise. I think they're gonna keep Clay Thompson around because of what he means just historically to this franchise uh, and the number will be dictated by the market. <laughs> you know, if there are other teams out there willing to to 
to bump his number to to a level the Warriors previously haven't been willing to go, then maybe they'll go to that number. If there hasn't been, maybe Clay has to bring his his ask down. Uh, but I do think, again, I would just predict just because of who what both sides you know kind of mean to each other, I would think they would get something done. Was there any sense when they had those talks if it was money related or the length of the contract related? Kind of both. They didn't. It didn't get that far down the line from okay. what I gather. You know, it wasn't like they were you know at the doorstep and the, you know well this year couldn't go here this money. Yeah. It just kind of seemed like you know money and years. Uh, and I, I Shams even reported that it was it was money and years like both really. Yeah, I mean it. It didn't seem close from from my side, but certainly wanted to touch with you on that. And yeah, yeah, for sure. The other guy that got to figure out in the offseason uh, is the coach, Steve Kerr. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to figure out what's going on with him. And it, it's almost somewhat assumed that he's going to be the coach next year. But is that a fair assumption in your opinion? Like, or couldn't you see this ending in a Bob Myers situation where, you know, maybe uh, it, it's time for a change? I, I definitely want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, you know, Bob left on his own, like at his own desire to leave uh, because, you know, and he even said it in his press, like he was like there was a burnt out nature to his decision to leave. Uh, Steve's not burnt out. Uh, Steve wants to keep coaching. Um, We'll see if they get something done. Um, Steve's very private about any negotiations. So, like, there's not that much info out there. Uh, We'll we'll see. I think some of it depends on what happens the rest of the season, right? There's a big, big difference between them not making the playoffs this season, even though they have a historic, you know, tax bill right now, compared to if they make like a, a late season push, get into the sixth seed, you know, make some noise in the playoffs. Like like the gap on how everything will feel exiting those two type of situations um, would determine a lot, not just Steve Kerr's future. Um, so I think that like, you know, again, I think the next few months will matter in that conversation. Um, but but Steve wants to be around. And, you know, from from all I gather, especially, you know, and this last week or 10 days after the 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 you know, the assistant coach passing away has reinforced like what he means to them at so much more than an X's and O's level, the way he's guided them through this. Uh I still sense a desire from, you know, the leadership of the organization to to, to keep Steve in the fold. Well said. Um, you know, we we touched on so much of this dynasty core. Got two more guys that certainly come to mind. I guess I'll start with Draymond Green. Came back from the indefinite suspension. Um, I mean, I can I could throw a million questions your way about Draymond, but I would say right now, I think I'm always a big picture guy. So I'll ask you this: Where is Draymond Green standing right now with the Warriors, given everything that happened with the indefinite suspension? Because they need him, but they haven't always been able to count on him this year to be in the lineup, given what happened. Uh, you know, he's he's in the whole, like, you know, reconciliation phase uh, of his return where, it, you know, actions are more than words. He said everything he's needed to say and, and apologize for what he's needed to. And, 
you know, done whatever work that the NBA deemed necessary to to lift the indefinite suspension. Um, and that, you know, he's admitted like, you know, he's done and when asked about like the urgency of the moment and getting back and playing well, he's like, you know, I've done enough harm to this team. I need to get back and play as well as soon as possible. Uh, he's come back kind of on this with this unofficial team mandate to like don't even screw with referees like forget just the flagrant fouls that the league will suspend you for like don't even bother yourself with the refs show us that you're so focused on the team and winning that you like if there's a block call that you didn't like like you won't just you know upend the game because you want to chase down the referee get a t maybe even get ejected um and you know he's played two games he's been very good in both games played well he's hitting his threes uh, there was talk post game last night, you know, especially chatting with people, you know, in the locker room, just how good he was as a pick and roll defender on Dejounte Murray in that game, and how much they've been missing that. Um, so when he's on the floor and focused and motivated, which he has been for two games, and that I want to highlight that two games because that's all it's been, and that's that as they'll say, like that doesn't earn everything back. Uh, but it's just clear how much he matters, uh, you know, to the court product and everything that has happened over the years, which includes the fact that he, he obviously punched Jordan Poole and spiraled last season. Um, but they still gave him a four-year extension because how good he can be on the court. Uh, and uh, you're, you, you've seen that through two games. And, and at this point, their path to legitimacy again this season, in my opinion, is much more about Draymond Green being available and playing the way he has than some, you know, like I said, fix-all trade. And uh, we'll see, you know. He's he's very clearly on thin ice with the league and I guess in turn the Warriors, but he's been on thin ice before and recovered because he's Draymond. So we'll see. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned about them kind of needing him and and he's in this reconciliation phase. The guy I always look at, you talk about to Steve Kerr's leadership and his value is more than an X and O's guy. I don't think any of this works without the calming leadership and ever steady presence of Stephen Curry. I mean, Steph is one of those stars and there are few of them in the league. You know, this, um, that no matter what's going on up and down, he always seems to have like an even keeled holistic approach and doesn't overly get involved in the muck of team building does his job, makes it, uh, almost easier for a front office to do what they have to do. Um, do you have a sense at all? I mean, Steph, Steph has played well. We, you know, we could see that on film and, and with his numbers, but what do you have a sense of where Steph is just in terms of looking at this team and where it's at competitively? Because he still wants to win. He's playing at a high level, but it almost yeah. seems like the guys around them haven't matched his level of play yet. Like, What's going through the mind of Steph Curry right now from your vantage point, given this season right now? Well, I mean, he's been frustrated with the season. There's been obviously frustrations with Draymond, you know, uh, you know, maybe missing over half the season due to suspensions. Um, and he does not like where their record is. He, you know, I think feels a level of career mortality, although he's held off. Like his prime is extended extremely long and, and doesn't look like it's, you know, ending anytime in like the, you know, the very near future. I, there is still is a career mortality when, you know, you're 35 years old. Um, so he wants to compete now. But the truth is like, you know, he was in on the decisions this summer, the pool for Paul uh, swap and, and the, the 
prioritizing more veterans, getting Dario Saric in here. And like, you know, they talked preseason, including from him, like how much they love the roster. And that roster that that the players love, that the veterans love, that Steph Curry love just hasn't performed, you know, and, and it's been turnover prone. There's been late game meltdowns, which he's been involved in. I can remember one in Sacramento where he had a really bad turnover and, uh, you know, and, and his veterans, his guys bringing Draymond back, you know, Clay Thompson, his, his you know, established core that, that he wants to ride this era out with uh, has been a lot of the reason for the struggles. Clay had shooting struggles. Draymond Green has had the suspension. Steph, even at times, he was unbelievable early in the year. He had a little shooting slump, and as I mentioned, some late game kind of woes. So it's tough for, like, I don't, it's not a situation where he's turning and pointing fingers and, you know, he's ready to ask out or anything like that. I think he just wants, he's frustrated, but he wants to solve it, and he's trying to solve it before, you know, the the, the clock runs out, really. No, I could I could say it's let me say about his mortality. He was never a guy that does what he does because of athleticism or size. It's all skill, hand eye coordination. It's it's fascinating to see, uh, given the way his career trajectory has gone, especially after those ankle injur- injuries early on and they had the Monte Ellis kind of backcourt with him. Um you know, I I was about to let you go. But then you mentioned Jordan Poole. I got to ask real quick before I get you out of here. Like, go, is, like is Golden State looking yeah. at what's going on with Washington, Jordan Poole going, huh, check this out. Like, <laughs> How do no. they feel now after that trade given? Because because it, it Jordan Poole, by all accounts, has not been what Washington thought to this point. I, I think that's certainly fair to say. I thought this was a guy that could average, you know, close to 25 points a game if he had uh, the ultimate green light, and it, it just hasn't materialized. Yeah, I thought he was going to have a better scoring season. Um, but also, I thought there was there was at least a level of unfair expectations being thrown on him. People were talking about him, like, leading the league in scoring. Kevin Garnett came out and was, like, basically saying he was going to have his James Harden, you know, got traded to Houston type season. Um, so I thought that was overly ambitious, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's struggled. Uh, I, there's not a, I, I don't ever sense the Warriors like cackling, laughing, haha, look at what's going on with Jordan Poole in Washington. They, they liked him. And by the way, he was like huge for them in that title run, um, at various moments. And it's, it's weird that it spiraled to this situation, especially once he's gotten the big contract, you know, I'm not around every day You know, I know Jordan, you know, decently well, um, but I, you know, I, I think part of it is like he's on a really bad team, and maybe that brings out bad habits uh, within him and and lineup combinations that don't necessarily work. And you know, maybe a few years from now he'll come to more of a realization that like you know maybe he fits better as kind of your microwave scoring six men that kind of when you do have it on certain nights come in and you know try to shoot the lights out when you don't. Maybe your minutes are are pulled back, but you know he felt ready for a bigger role, a bigger you know, stamp on an organization. He's getting it in Washington through a half season. It's not going well. Uh, he'll have a little bit more time to to try to correct that. But but re- even if he doesn't, I do think his scoring skill will have a place in this league for a long time. And and we'll just find out over the next several seasons what type of role that is in. I never forget when they won the title and him and Andrew Wiggins are on Instagram live and he goes, "We about to get a bag." <laughs> They were both correct, by the way. They both got big extensions right after that. They did. Um, you should get an extension, too, if you don't have a, b- a bag of Thank you. You crush that. Make that your headline. 
<laughs> my Just man. Like I said at the uh, at the top in the intro, in my opinion, one of the best beat writers in the business. So I appreciate you taking time out for joining me, brother. It's always good to catch up, and I'm happy for your success on the West Coast. Keep up the great work. Yes, sir. This is your time of year, trade deadline. <laughs> you know it. It's my Super Bowl. I appreciate you, brother. And I also want to thank everybody else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members such as Anthony Slater, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Anthony, too. He's at Anthony V. Slater. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.